everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Actually, the most we've ever seen. It's the most. That's what's <laughs> up. We've never seen more than what we saw today in the history of our lives covering the sport, right? No. I mean, my head is on a swivel here. I'm not sure what just happened over the last six hours. I can tell you in the first 90 minutes, the NBA teams combined to give give away $2 billion worth of contracts to the players, Andrew. And I'll be honest, it felt like $5 billion. I mean, I could not keep up with it. I feel like we're probably going to have to pick and choose a little bit, stick to some of the big headlines here from the first, what, six hours. We do have two more mm-hmm. podcasts this week, after all. We can double back on the minor moves. But I feel like we got to start with KD, right? Isn't he the biggest story of the day? Yeah, there's no question. And granted, it felt a little anticlimactic uh, as it happened, in part because of his injury, in part because Woj broke the news an hour before free agency, but it is still a seismic move. And I think you and I are sort of in the same place on this one, actually. But I'll start here with Liam, who says, I'm not sure whether you guys remember... But maybe three years ago, you received one of the saddest emails of all time from a Nets fan who was talking of the day they would finally have their own pick and cap room. I definitely ben, remember, remember it. that email. Oh, of course. You know, I, I went in pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, what can you say? Well, and it was funny because the emailer at the time was scouting like high school sophomores and high school juniors for the year that the Nets would finally have their pick, which obviously was this summer. And um, so Liam, Liam continues on and says, you guys both winced at how terrible it would be in Brooklyn and for how long it would last. And at the time, it made me feel good about my bowls. But now, is it time to ask whether the Nets actually won the Boston trade? And also, I guess it's probably a good time to pause and reflect on what a great healer time can be. So what do you think, Ben? You can take it in any direction you want. I like what he had to say about time healing all wounds. I don't know about revisiting that Nets trade. That sounds like a little bit of a stretch. (laughs) But I'll say this. This signing is a bigger deal for Kevin Durant than it is for the Brooklyn Nets because Kevin Durant is a bigger deal than the Brooklyn Nets are. This team hasn't won 50 games since 2002. Okay, they were dead last in home attendance last season. They're the little brother in their own city. I mean, that's, you know, well chronicled for years and years and years. So this is, of course, is the greatest day of their life. I think the richness of this story, though, comes from Kevin Durant's decision. I'm going to give the mandatory disclaimer. Every free agent can decide however he wants to sign, with whomever he wants to sign, I fully respect that player's right. But when Mm -hmm. it came to Kevin's decision, Andrew, I did not like it. I did not approve. I didn't like the team that he picked. I didn't like the players that he chose to play with. I hated the way that they rolled it out and executed it after I was down on my knees last week begging him to get the execution of it right. (laughs) You go all the way around, Andrew, and I got to say, it was a very, very demoralizing decision from Kevin Durant. And here's the main reason why. Here's my main beef. What was his argument all year long, Andrew? Let's stick to basketball. Let's talk basketball. I'm just a guy who loves basketball. Can you tell me that this decision was a basketball decision given all of the opportunities that were available to him? Are you really trying to tell me that the best basketball move, the best basketball fit was lining up with Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan? There is absolutely 
no way you can sell me on that. And if you want to play buddy ball and not basketball, that's fine. But don't kind of wow. come out and look hypocritical after six or seven months of lecturing everyone who will listen about what your real priorities are. You wanted to play with your friends. You wanted to go play in a fun city. Uh, you know, it, obviously he's coming off of a very traumatic injury and that's a natural instinct to want to surround yourself with people who truly care about you. And I completely understand and completely respect that. But I just don't think that Kevin Durant's actions lined up with all of the words he was telling us for months and months and months. And for that, I'm very disappointed. Okay. Um, could you at least identify with his impulse to use this free agency to promote his Instagram? I feel like from promoter to promoter, it's sort of a real recognized real situation for you and KD. No, Andrew, no, absolutely not. Because look, I'm not good at Instagram. <laughs> we can agree on that, right? I'm not good. But I'm better than Kevin Durant at Instagram. You're trying to tell uh -huh. me that you've got the biggest news of the entire summer, which is what they have, right? They have the yep. plan to unload it on Instagram. Now, I predicted this 18 months ago. I said someone big will announce their decision on Instagram. It will be one of the biggest stories. When I wrote that huge feature after uh, visiting Instagram in like early 2018. Now, they kind of you know dropped the ball last summer, but they figured it out this summer, right? It's a great idea. <laughs> First of all, I'm not familiar with the inner workings of Instagram or their free agency strategy, so I'll just take your word for it on that one. Well, I definitely mentioned on this podcast like three times, so more evidence you never listened to me. But look, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin got scooped again with uh -huh. his own news, so he didn't break it on Instagram. And then the crucial mistake, Andrew, where do you go on Instagram to truly interact with your fans and followers? The stories, you're obviously going to break it on the story with the video of yourself explaining what you were doing. And I said last week, it was so crucial for him to lay out what he was thinking because we haven't heard from him since the injury and because everyone is dying to root for him. They're dying to hear his side of the story. Instead, he puts yeah. up a little video. It doesn't even have video. It's just sounds of a notorious B.I.G. song. Boy, that probably took 35 seconds for them to come up with that because he's going to play in Brooklyn. That's the first person you think of when you think of Brooklyn. And it just says, mm -hmm. hey, we're confirming reports that basically we already got scooped. We're admitting we got scooped. That's all, folks. That's all we're going to give you horrible Andrew and so yes they've got a few hundred thousand followers on that boardroom account I guarantee you there's going to be a good number of unfollows after the way that thing played out and you know now we're looking at probably you know more quiet and more of a vacuum from Kevin Durant where we don't understand why he decided to do what he did we're not sure exactly why he he, he chose to team up with Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan who yeah. are both clear downgrades from Steph Curry uh, and Draymond Green in Golden State. And look, there's obvious reasons why he might do this. Like I said, you know, there there is friends. There's some new faces. There's no baggage from all those years of Golden State. There's none of the Steph Curry, you know, comparisons. Who team? Whose team is this? Who do fans love more? And all that stuff. But fans want to hear from that. And by announcing it that way, he took all the best parts of social media, the immediacy, you know, bringing somebody into <laughs> your living room, talking to them face yeah. to face, and he spoiled it. So, of course, I don't, uh, you know, condone the way he did this, Andrew. I'm actually, you know, very frankly, uh, you know, like you can hear it in my voice, disgusted. I mean, very frustrated. You are. No, you're bereft right now. And I understand. And so we'll tread carefully here. But... 
I do like that we're probably the only NBA podcast that is going to spend five minutes talking about KD's social media strategy and the way he executed this. I do have to add, number one, your point on the Biggie thing is a good one. I feel like I certainly hope that Biggie's family is getting royalties from the Brooklyn Nets because they have squeezed every last ounce of cool and credibility out of their association with Notorious B.I.G. And like the Nets have to actually win something before that can continue for much longer. Well, you know what what I hope for? I hope the Christopher Wallace family you know, it has a cease and desist and says, take down this social media post. You didn't get clearance for this song. So they have to wipe their own announcement and try again. That's what I hope oh, for. Oh, man. I will say I felt like a complete idiot as an NBA reporter pulling up Instagram at 6 p.m. Eastern and like looking for the IG live story of Kevin Durant's announcement So he succeeded at least in making me kind of like swallow my pride and just sit there waiting for him to update on Instagram. No, I mean, I'll I'll admit, I'm I'm even worse. I had notifications on. I mean, that's how bad it got. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, as far as the actual basketball decision, I want to say this, okay? I think that a lot of people are going to spend the next few days conflating the Brooklyn Nets management success story of the last three or four years with what's possible going forward. Because I think they're two different things. I think that what the Nets have been able to do over the last three or four years is nothing short of miraculous. I mean, they've basically been able to take spare parts from around the NBA. They were very smart seeking out high upside guys and taking on bad deals in exchange for assets. And they really kind of executed an alternate version of the process over the last few years. And um, it was smart. It paid off about as well as you could ever dream if you're a Nets fan. And they should all feel great. Like if I were a Nets fan, I would be like, oh my God, I cannot believe any of this is real. The next couple years are going to be amazing. And again, like considering the alternatives, which would be bringing back D'Angelo Russell, trying to convince yourself that Jared Allen can be an all-star in the Eastern Conference in two or three years. Like, I, I mean, this is like worlds beyond where the Nets have been. And, um, and that goes back to the time they were in New Jersey. So like, this is uncharted territory for them. It's a huge win. It's a huge win for Sean Marks. And they deserve all the praise that they're going to get this week. As far as the basketball situation... I don't know. I mean, I think that we're giving Brooklyn the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not sure that's appropriate. Because if the Knicks had just signed Kyrie after the year from hell in Boston, after he alienated basically everyone in that locker room, and then also sunk an extra $190 or $140 million, was it, for KD— like coming off the the most serious injury any basketball player can ever have, like everyone would proceed with caution before congratulating this team and say, look, that's a big, big gamble. I understand why they did it, but there's a good chance that this will not end well. And I think that that same calculus is also true for the Nets. And I just that that's the part of the story that I don't think has been um, has been told as much in the six hours since this happened. Well, Andrew, I'm here to tell it. You know, I don't know this we you're saying about giving them the uh, the benefit of the doubt. I think you need to muzzle that mouse in your pocket because look, 
they're worse than the Celtics going into next season, right? I mean, they're not. I agree. So that's that tells you all you really need to know right there. You know how I feel about the Celtics. So congratulations. You know, there's not a lot of upward mobility for their season next year. When Kevin Durant comes back, the big basketball question is, do he and Kyrie Irving make each other better? And to mm-hmm. me, uh, it's possible to a degree. I like the fit slightly better, um, at least in theory, than Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But the problem is Kyrie Irving misses a lot of time every single year. He's in and out. He's up and down. Uh, you know, his teammates have to learn to sort of, uh, you know, deal with him, you know, essentially like when he's there or when he's not. And the same thing is true for Kevin Durant. And so I think, you know, Kevin's going to succeed no matter where you put him. He's going to get his 30 anywhere on earth. And I think that's part of what he's thinking too. It's like, I I can do what I do no matter where I want to go. I just want to be surrounded by Mm -hmm. people that I like, right? But that doesn't equate to a title team. And when you have the biggest decision of the summer, you're the power broker, you and Kawhi Leonard, you're trying to do this whole LeBron James mogul thing off the court. Everybody's, you know, ramping up, making all this money for you when, you know, with these endorsement deals and all these, you know, side projects and media companies and everything else, you've got to do better than this, right? There should never be a big three where DeAndre Jordan is kind of like getting the runoff cash to, to be like the tag along third member of it. That's just not good enough. And so, you know, from that standpoint, like are him and Kyrie a decent fit? Sure. Are they going to be able to win 50 games together if they both stay healthy? Absolutely. Does that qualify as a high point for the Brooklyn Nets? Sure. <laughs> good. Congratulations. That's not saying a lot for that franchise, right? But Kevin Durant should want more, and he's been exposed to more. And here's one of my other things, Andrew. You know how I feel about this. I think the Uh Warriors and their fan base took Kevin Durant for granted uh, throughout his tenure there. I think that you know they always wanted it to be Steph's show. They didn't really give him his proper due. They snubbed him at the championship parade, which you know irks me to no end, right? But if I'm going to play divorce counselor here, I think Kevin Durant took the Warriors for granted too. I think he dwelled a little bit too much on the personality conflicts with a guy like Draymond Green. I think there was a you know a little bit of a you know tug of war with him and Steph Curry, and he forgot to realize that he won at such a higher level there than he ever did previously in Oklahoma City. And I think, frankly, it's going to be at a much higher level than he ever will in Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. The structure that they offered him, the offensive system, the ball movement, the buy-in, everybody playing so hard on defense, you can't take those things for granted. Those aren't going to translate everywhere. And when you're looking at guys like Kyrie (laughs) Irving and DeAndre Jordan, you think they're going to max out defensively and play at a championship level for multiple months straight when you get back and you're 32 years old? There's no Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. I mean, look, I share a lot of the same concerns. I'm, I did not expect you to be quite as down on this move as you are, but I, you know, subconsciously am, am in about the same place because well, let it out. I care. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, I was really excited for this next phase of Durant's career and again, we can go back to the night he tore his Achilles in Game 5 of the NBA Finals where a lot of this was then thrown into uncertainty. And so that already kind of put a ceiling on what might be possible with the next phase. Over the last couple of days, I heard from a number of people who were throwing out all sorts of different possibilities. I heard the Knicks were still in play. I heard he was going back to the Warriors. And then over the last like 72 hours, a lot of Nets buzz started to pick up. But um, 
I but just don't. You didn't want to I mean, believe think, it. That's the thing, though. You didn't did. want to believe it. I could, I, I could sense it in your text messages uh, that you were like yeah. holding out hope for any possibility but the Nets. Why is that? Well, part of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where like, if the Knicks had made this move, there would be probably five to ten times as many people clowning the Knicks as be as just chasing superstars and thinking it's going to work out and not realizing what a massive gamble this is. Do you, do you agree with that? I think there's more skepticism towards what the Knicks do in general, but I think given all of the hype and buildup, I think they would have gotten a pass for the Kevin Durant injury stuff. And I think there would have been yeah. all the scrutiny would have fallen onto Kyrie's shoulders. And that was my first instinct too. I mean, the first column I wrote today was basically like, look, this whole thing comes down to whether Kyrie can pull it together or not and actually make his teammates better. If he can, it's going to wind up being a bust. Right. Well, and here's the thing, okay? On the last podcast, I said I, I'm kind of out on Kyrie. I can also objectively acknowledge that a lot of people around the league are super, super down on Kyrie. I mean, I told you during the finals... I had five or six conversations with people and just like the kind of like off the record takes on Kyrie, people just being like, I'm, I want no part of that dude. I can't imagine giving him $160 million, but like, it's possible that the pendulum has swung too far on that one because he does still have a lot of talent and the best version of his game is gorgeous. Number one and number two, perfectly suited to playoff basketball so we shouldn't be too glass half empty because uh, like objectively speaking there's still a ton of upside for this but all year long you and I were talking about the possibility of a KD and Kyrie partnership and it just like their games don't fit very well and and that's if Kyrie is play is the best version of himself and Kevin and Kevin Durant comes back healthy like, even in the best-case scenario, before all this stuff got complicated, it was a strange fit that looked like a major gamble. And then you pull in DeAndre Jordan, who, look, I actually love that DeAndre Jordan is such a great guy that people just want to give him an extra 5 to $10 million. Or, I mean, no, he's getting $40 million over the next four years. So a solid $10 million he's getting to join the Nets. And he is a great I guy. I just don't get he, it, though. He really yeah. is. But he's not a third star in a big three right now. He's just not. I mean, he, he's not uh, equipped to be that level of player. He hasn't been the same guy for the last two years. His game really fell off a cliff uh, as his athleticism started to slip and as he no longer played with Chris Paul, who was just so good at setting him up for points in the half-court offense. Um, yeah, I have a question for you. Kevin takes a lot of heat, right? Kyrie uh -huh. Irving takes a lot of heat. There's no question about it. Is there something that Kevin Durant sees in Kyrie Irving that we're all missing? Or is it that he feels like Kyrie Irving is sort of a like-minded soul who's going through the same thing he's going through and that he can relate to him? Like, is there some basketball argument that Kevin Durant could, you know, counteract everything that we're saying about his fit with Kyrie and what their ceiling is and all this stuff as sort of like, mm -hmm. well, you guys are off base. Here's what you're missing about Kyrie. Because look, I've listened to you defend Kyrie for years. And I'm yep. glad that you came around a little bit here in the last month or two. And I actually agree with you that people have gone too far. Um, it's, and it was natural because the Celtics fans were all going to turn on him and they were going to immediately hype up Kemba Walker too much. And that was going to come at right. uh, Kyrie Irving's expense too. But is there something that we're missing that Kevin sees in Kyrie Irving? Because why, if you're this power broker, if you're a centerpiece type guy, 
do you tie your next four years of your career, basically the rest of your really good prime years, to Kyrie Irving? I don't get it. Well, okay, so I think the answer there is twofold. Number one, you go back to his time in Golden State, and I think that the chemistry there and the friendships within that locker room uh, between KD and everybody else, like it just never really materialized, and um, it was unfulfilling off the court, and it was unfulfilling on the court at times, and things were just kind of screwed up. I agree with you that like in a vacuum – Going back to Golden State was clearly his best option to go win another couple titles. And um, and we should get to Golden State's future in a few minutes as well, because that got very interesting uh, about 20 minutes before we came on to record the podcast. But like, it was just a strange deal. He was not very happy there for most of the time he was there, uh, or certainly appeared that way on the outside. And so I understand why he would want to just go play with his friends like i think you kind of said that with some derision but it actually kind of makes sense to me given where he's been over the last few years and he and Kyrie do seem to be friends and then Kyrie, the basketball player i gotta tell you man i mean like one of the reasons that my attitude on Kyrie has changed over the last 12 months or two years or so is because like i've talked to more basketball players who revere him and and really do think that like he is criminally underrated. He's one of the five or ten best players in the NBA, and people who hate on him just don't get it. And what I talked to Kevin Durant about Kyrie at one point, and he was effusive in his praise for Kyrie and everything he could do on okay, a basketball court. But was so he I think convincing? That played into it. But was he convincing? Because I understand what you're saying. He's not Steph, and he's his friend. Those are two big pluses. But on the basketball yeah. merits, when you're hearing this effusive praise about Kyrie, are you nodding your head in agreeing or are you staring back with sort of glazed over eyes saying like, I understand that you like Kyrie, right? But the version of <laughs> Kyrie that you're describing is not the version of Kyrie who comes every single night, the version you're going to need to win titles uh, if he's going to be carrying that heavy, heavy load. Yeah. And my answer to you, if you're asking me specifically, oh, I am. I was nodding. <laughs> I was nodding and saying, "Yeah, I totally understand what you what you're saying, and that at the highest levels of the game, Kyrie has weapons that you can't really defend, and and he is an answer, or, or he he is a problem without a good answer, and um and that matters. I, I still think that matters." My response now, if I had these conversations now, would be, look, Kyrie just spent two years in a really good situation, and he left after having burned just about every bridge imaginable. And having the opportunity to carry his own team in the playoffs and just flunking the test in spectacular fashion. And so, like... I, I think that, look, I'm I'm willing to believe that, you know, punting a game in January and not really showing up for various stretches of the regular season should not be determinative as far as Kyrie's value in the NBA. But I do think, like, over the last year or two, we've seen him have a really good opportunity to be a franchise leader and to be the top 10 guy that everybody claims he is or that his believers claim he is. And he just hasn't been that guy. And so tying my career to the next four years of that dude's career 
would scare me if I were an NBA superstar. So there's no question. Maybe it and, will work out for KD. And the worst part is tough. Kyrie's going to have to carry this organization for a year without Kevin, with a bunch of young players. Yeah. And we saw how that went last year. So it's no guarantee that, you know, fast forward 12 months, everybody's still happy. Everybody's still on the same page, right? I mean, this thing could blow yeah. up before Kevin even gets a chance to be on the court. And I'm not predicting that, but that's a legitimate possibility, as is the possibility that Kyrie Irving is forced to carry this huge load, you know, during this year where Kevin's not out there. And, um, you know, some of the health issues that he's had over the years, you know, catch up to him a little bit. It's possible. Uh I mean, the other thing that bothers me with Kyrie is we hear nothing but multiple years straight of the branding about how he's this free spirit, outside the box thinker. He's got the Illuminati eye, Andrew. The first chance he got to go to unrestricted free agency, what did he do? He went to the NBA's biggest market and he formed a super team. The most conventional cliche thing that any superstar could ever do. So you were saying I was being derisive a little bit earlier to Kevin. I I understand the impulse to want to play with your teammates, especially after going through a horrible injury like that, wanting to be surrounded by people who care about you. I understand that completely. I just think that his actions did not match his words. And the same deal with Kyrie Irving. We've had to hear about all these loony conspiracy theories and coffee shop nonsense for multiple years. When he actually push comes to shove and he gets a chance to determine his own future, he goes to the same place that all the other sneaker and soda pitchmen go. New York City, the bigger market with a supposed super team to try to cash out. I mean, come on. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with a message from Mattress Firm. The only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap. And Mattress Firm's President's Day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. Mattressfirm.com mattressfirm.com for the president's day sale okay well i we should walk back the tone on some of this because it is it's still a big win for the nets and they could work out great and we need to emphasize that possibility as well what's their ceiling what's their ceiling i mean um, let's say kevin comes back 100 percent. Kyrie, every all the questions that you've described are uh non-existent he fixes it he plays nice he's awesome next season and going forward what's their ceiling isn't that the crazy part, man? Because when you really think it through, like if Kevin Durant were healthy next season, I'm not 100% sure I would take the Nets over the Sixers. And we got to talk about the Sixers in a few minutes as well. But I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't trust that partnership very much. And, and maybe this will all sound ridiculous in 18 months when they're actually healthy and playing together. But um, I, I can't quite get there at this point. I mean, I hope it does, you know, because that means they put it all together and that'll be fantastic for them. But I think their ceiling is a three seed. I'll take Philly over them. I'll take Milwaukee over them. So, you know, again, yeah. like, why are we bowing and, and, and bending over backwards with praise for this move if their ceiling is the three seat? You're Kevin Durant. You just played on, you know, uh, teams that went to the finals multiple years in a row. You've got two finals MVPs. You banged threes over LeBron James. You were the best player in basketball before you got injured in the postseason. And the best you can do is a three seed? Well, so let me ask you this. Does this change the way you view his decision to join the Warriors? Because that was sold initially, at least, as 
the act of a basketball purist who just wanted to play in the best system on earth and wanted to play basketball the right way. And that's the, the only thing that drove him to Golden State. Do you still believe that? I'm not sure they were ever saying that was the only thing. I think they were trying to make that out as the primary motivating factor. But again, they did a terrible job of messaging that. Um, to me, mm-hmm. I think that was a really major factor. He knew he had to get a ring. You know, these guys are under so much pressure to win championships because of the legacy conversation and all of that. And he even made the point in, in a 2018 interview with Chris Haynes that like the, the ring wasn't as fulfilling as he thought it would be. It didn't really change his life as much as he expected. And that's because yeah. he's had to hear people tell him how important it was from the outside for years and years and years. And, you know, you hear that long enough, you start to believe it. So I understand where he was coming from on that. But I do think his interest in winning a title at that point was genuine. His interest in getting over LeBron James, uh, you know, in terms of the pecking order, uh, you know, number one player in basketball was genuine. And I think the Warriors played the best style of basketball it fit him perfectly. There was no question as soon as you plugged him into Harrison Barnes's role that they were going to be incredible and do things like rip off a 16 and one postseason. I mean, to me, it was just like plug and play and you're gone. And, and really, that's how it you know turned out to be. So I believed him that time. But I think that the experience changed him. And mm-hmm. his his reasoning this past year did not line up with what he ultimately chose to do. Yeah, well, and it's it's tough. I mean, first of all, if we go back to the Warriors move, I think a lot I think there were a number of factors in play and a lot of it was um business motivated. I think Nike probably played a role as well. And I also think that like he thought that winning a title would be more fulfilling than it was and would sort of make him untouchable and he did not appreciate that like the context was going to matter a lot and and I wish that he had had better advice going into that process to at least enter it with more reasonable expectations for what it was going to be and what it might mean if he won a title after going to a team that had won 73 games the year before like the whole situation I think was was sold to him the wrong way um but look bottom line is this could all still work out great in Brooklyn, and I hope it does. I think both you and I have been rooting for Durant at various levels in various ways for like more than a decade now, and um, it would really bum me out if his career ended on an overrated Nets team for the next four years. And so hopefully this, hopefully all of this seems overblown in, in a year or two. I will say additionally, though, one of the things that was tough when you really thought through this decision is that after that Achilles rupture, he didn't really have a good option out there. And I think that was part of the problem because if he didn't want to be in Golden State, like going to the Clippers on his own and potentially playing in the shadow of Kawhi, LeBron, and Anthony Davis would not have been that much more appealing than going to Brooklyn and going to the Nets for a year and just kind of, or going to the Knicks for a year and just kind of holding things down and, and waiting for next year's free agent class, which is like super barren, uh, would not have been viable either. And so he just was kind of stuck on this one. And had he been healthy, he could have gone to New York. The Knicks could have chased Kemba Walker to come join him. They could have put together some sort of godfather offer to try to get Anthony Davis, all of which was, I I think, in play for a while. Um, 
and now it was it was off the table by the time we got to free agency and honestly like there are people who say that he was ready to go to the nets even before he ruptured the achilles so it's right. hard to say what the timeline was but um no i think it's a great point this, I, th- I think the fact that Kyrie was the best player who didn't basically abandon him is the best way to sort yeah. of argue why this is the the right move for kevin durant and you're absolutely correct to say you cannot separate the decision from the injury and I think that some of the frustration and sort of where he's landing and what the future of his career look like can be explained by that too, right? Because it's difficult to imagine this amazing ceiling knowing that Kevin's going to be coming back from a horrific injury and it could take multiple years until he gets even close to where he was previously. And that just reinforces yep. this feeling that like those two title years in Golden State are probably going to be the high points of Kevin Durant's career. I don't see any way the Nets, even in you know the absolute best case scenario, could match the level that Golden State was playing on, um, you know, during those seasons. And sometimes, as someone who watches uh, a player's career very closely for ten years play out, life comes at you fast. And I think that's a little bit of what's happening here too. Is you know we're all in this moment processing that you know what Kevin Durant's best moments of his career, even though he's thirty could be behind him you know he might still come back and score yeah. 60 points in a game he might get the nets to the finals he might even win a title but you know the the high highs of those golden state years are basically untouchable and now that he's officially left that group he can't get them back well and if you go back to our podcast the night of game five i mean i had people text me after the fact giving me shit for being too melodramatic about it and being a little bit too depressed on the podcast you need better friends come on man who would do that no no no. all i all i will say is that i was depressed not just because of the injury but because i was spinning things forward in my mind and wondering whether this was kind of that that was kind of the peak with KD, and we were going to look back and say, shit, like he's, his two best years were on a Warriors team that most people did not find very interesting, and then he left, and the, he had the opportunity to have his own team, and he got hurt, and it was just all very complicated from there, and I, I hope that isn't how it ends, so hopefully KD comes back healthy maybe he'll even come back this year probably not but um yeah you keep saying this hopefully way, stuff like you're trying to talk yourself into it. and i get it <laughs> and we're, we're wishing the best for him i think we should probably move on to whatever that next topic is um but yeah no i mean it's a bummer and like yeah uh, also i think this free agency there's a lot of anticipation with kevin as the headliner right and i mean it's the same deal mm-hmm. as it was when he uh you know he picked the warriors i mean the excitement around that move was through the roof and this year for Kevin specifically, not for the entire free agency period. Uh, it just kind of came out and fizzled to me. Yeah. Well, so very quickly, what do we think about the Knicks side of this? The Knicks side of it? Yeah. What side is that? The G League side? I mean, are they getting... They, well... <laughs> they're still in the league <laughs> yeah, the or Knicks what? The fans are very, very upset. Actually... The team signed three power forwards today. Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, and then they signed somebody before we came on. I forget who it is. Bobby Portis. It's been... Uh, co- Washington Bobby Wizards. Bobby Portis. <laughs> legend, Bobby Portis. Yeah, I think you can play those guys at the one, two, three, don't you think? If they get a couple centers... <laughs> They could have a nice, long, just, active, interchangeable lineup. Actually, here's one thing, though, Andrew. I, I let you off the hook yeah. last week because you were trying to apologize to the Knicks fans because you had been you know, trying to coach them up about how they were getting Kevin Durant. They needed to shut up and stop whining. I think it's time yeah. for you to have your address to the Knicks fans because this was an absolutely brutal day for them. What do you have to say to the people of New York? 
Okay, so first of all, what I would start with is the front office does not get the benefit of the doubt for like building smart and being patient if they're just going to surround RJ Barrett with power forwards. <laughs> I don't understand what they're thinking with some of these moves. I actually like the Julius Randle move. I don't know why they felt the need to double down with Taj Gibson and then Bobby Portis. Really not sure what the plan is in New York. Does not fill me with confidence for the future. I'm sure Knicks fans are even more depressed and pessimistic than I am. What I would say, though, is that, look, the Knicks went for it, and then something clearly went wrong along the way uh, because, you know, there were there were rumors that KD was wavering even before the injury. Um, and, look, Jim Dolan coming out and saying... I think that we're going to have a very good summer. I, th- I like. He, I mean, he literally was talking about free agency in March, which is never a good way to do business, which is another reminder, not that Knicks fans need it, that this dude needs to sell the team. And so what I would say, number one, is that if I were a Knicks fan, I would not have that much regret about the way they played the last 12 months, unless you're like a true believer in what Porzingis is going to do and what was possible for him in New York. He seemed very, he seemed pretty miserable by the end, not necessarily very miserable, but he did not seem very happy. He did not seem very healthy. And the Knicks punting on him winning 43 games is not the craziest thing in the world to me, particularly since they had a real shot to go out and like make this work in free agency. Um, Having said that, it all ended in disaster, and it is about as embarrassing as anything that's happened to an NBA team over the last couple years. And you and I had joked about this last summer. We said, after the Lakers signed LeBron, nothing in the world could be more Knicks than them trying to execute the exact same blueprint (laughs) with Kevin Durant and having it come crashing down. And that's exactly what happened. We all should have seen it coming all along. I should have seen it coming all along. I apologize, Knicks fans. And it's the only silver lining I can offer is that perhaps this is so embarrassing and so frustrating that Jim Dolan will just say, I I am done with the NBA. It's time to abandon this stupid sport and this stupid world, and I'm about to sell the team. So that is, uh, I mean, look, we've been clinging to that hope for 20 years, but like... It's potentially in play after this disaster. Who knows? If that's where it goes, he just needs to put it on Instagram. Don't use the story. Just put it on Instagram. We'll accept that <laughs> yeah. that news in any delivery service. Now, it's hilarious that you mention his supreme confidence during the season kind of coming back to bite them. Let me ask you, did you expect when you read those words when he initially said them that before July 1st, the Knicks would you know put out a press release that read, while we understand that some Knicks fans could be disappointed with tonight's news, we continue to be upbeat and confident in our plans to rebuild the Knicks <laughs> to compete for championships in the future through both the tra- the draft and targeted free agents. And of course, as you mentioned, those targeted free agents are Julius Randle, uh, Taj Gibson, and uh, Bobby Portis. And as we know with Bobby Portis, he's never had any issues with sort of positional log jams. He always just kind of takes yeah. those in stride, and, and he never acts out in any way during practice or, you know. He's a, he's a great, great locker room guy. He's going to be great in Madison Square Garden. Like, if they need him to take a step back so that, you know, Taj Gibson's veteran experience can come through, it's not going to be an issue, okay? It's, <laughs> it's going to be just fine. Um, 
No, I think it's an out an out and out disaster for them. Um, I was kind yep. of already worried as soon as Kevin got injured that this was where they were going to end up. Um, I understand why he wouldn't want to go there by himself uh, for sure, and I can understand why some of these other plans would have gone a different direction. I mean, Kyrie Irving going to Rockefeller and that winding up, you know, being this whole, you know, for lack of a better phrase, Illuminati. I think that they just kind of got outfoxed by the Nets a little bit. And they clearly didn't yeah. have a solid backup plan, right? I don't think they actually put the work in on Kawhi Leonard, either that or they didn't get the traction. And none of the other high-profile guys were ever really linked to them. I mean, it seemed like they maybe put too many eggs in the Kevin Durant basket. Well, and again, I think Kevin Durant would have had much better recruiting power if he were healthy. And it, they were unable to even bid for Anthony Davis because KD wasn't going to be healthy in New York. And if that, if that's the case, then you're basically recruiting Anthony Davis to stay by saying, look, like here's Mitchell Robinson and here's Kevin Knox missing 16 jumpers per game. Like they build your future here and Kevin Durant will be back healthy. We swear like that's a tough sell. And so that kind of took one piece off the board for them. And then Kemba, it kind of was the same deal. It's like, do you want to go win 50 games in Boston or do you want to come to New York and maybe win 43 games by yourself and hope that Kevin Durant comes back healthy? So, like, I think that they were just sort of taken out of this before any of these battles even began. And um, and that's tough. I mean, look, my reaction when I read James Dolan's words in March where he said, I can tell you from what we've heard, I think we're going to have a successful offseason when it comes to free agents. And then also, like... They were doing things like putting pictures of KD next to season ticket packages. Like they did a lot of kind of over the line shit with Durant over the course of the last nine months. And my reaction all along was like, gosh, there must be some behind the scenes handshake deal to empower Rich Kleiman. Yeah, they hoodwinked you, man. Care of Durant's. They got you, they got you in. They brainwashed you. You were all ready to go. I mean, you were going to be out there on uh, you know Fifth Avenue waving your Kevin Durant jersey. Well, here's the thing, okay? Because I also think that it was not a very well-kept secret by either the Knicks or Durant's people that this was a possibility. And the buzz, I mean, like I heard from pretty well-sourced people back in September that like this was going to happen this was it, the the groundwork had been laid don't overthink it like this is where he's going to end up was was the message like midway through the year and so something changed it will be cur- I'm curious to know the backstory and it will be interesting to see what happened there as details trickle out i mean now the Knicks are claiming that they never even offered the max to Kevin Durant which seems like kind of post-facto spin on their part. But either way, it all ends in disaster. And again, we should have seen it coming. But, um, you know, it's the Knicks. <laughs> it's, all, it's all in the game for Knicks fans, okay? They just add this one to the list. And we, we lectured them around the lottery for feeling sorry for themselves. Now, Knicks fans, you absolutely have carte blanche to feel sorry for yourselves and bathe in your misery, and um, I know, I think every NBA fan feels bad for you, yeah, and, and will continue to do so until Dolan sells the team. To underscore that point, as a Wizards fan, are you willing to admit that Knicks fans have it worse? No, Whoa. I'm not willing to admit that really? Knicks fans have it worse, because look, 
the whole world pays attention to the Knicks enough to realize how miserable this situation is. It's me and like 17 other people man, who understand man. how screwed up the Wizards are. Man, so you're, you're over here. I, you're least, jealous at Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, and Taj Gibson right now. You're thinking, man, all we got was Thomas Bryant. I, I mean, it's arguable. Go ahead, argue it. Well, look, Knicks fans at least have other people in their lives reaching out and being like, God, I can't believe how bad that went. I've got people texting me about like, Mo Wagner and Rui in the top 10 like but really it's only like a small circle of Wizards fans who even know what I'm going through with this team look so if you need sympathy it's fine. I'll, I'll listen I'll stop making fun of you I can lay off I mean I didn't I didn't realize it was that serious like I, I mean I thought it was all, all in good fun you know yeah no the late July podcasts are gonna be we're gonna need at least 90 minutes of just like full-scale Wizards intervention to rip me away from this team but um moving down the east coast down the Amtrak corridor from New York to Philadelphia Ben okay we should talk about what happened with the 76ers okay so here from JR he says on June 19th, he said, Al Horford to Philly, book it. And then JR doubled back today to say, Al Horford to Philly, called it. And I just want to say, JR, you needed to expound on your prediction earlier in the month. You, I don't even know if you get to take credit for, for calling this one at all because you just kind of like threw that out there hey, come on. without any explanation. This was his big no, moment. Like, Maybe he was trying to feed us info. <laughs> like we had all sorts of sources, Andrew. That was the best part about this year's free agency. Openfloormail at mm-hmm. gmail.com just turned into a clearinghouse for everybody's cousins, uncles, barber who heard that this player is working on a house in this neighborhood and this realtor's yeah. you know, selling a condo to this guy. I and mean, we got so much of that stuff. Maybe J.R. Holtz is, you know, Al Horford himself. Well, perhaps. I would have appreciated more detail from J.R., but congratulations to him. And yes, I... <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned all the other tips because we did. We had somebody working on Kawhi's house right in. Basically, anyone out there with a sketchy tip, we had somebody who saw Masai Ujiri in the Nike town in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., perhaps linking him to the Wizards. Like, we are here for all of that. I Those are my favorite emails of all. So to be honest, if you have any sketchy NBA news, I think Masai um, was hit us up. I think Masai was just getting in on the Greek freak ones at Nike, probably laying some groundwork for 2021, <laughs> making sure Giannis saw him yeah. rocking the kicks on Instagram, whatever it might be. In terms of the Sixers and Al Horford, this is kind of why I was going in so hard on the Celtics fans. And Celtics fans got all mad at me. Oh, you're so negative on your team. Well, how are you feeling now? that Al Horford just went to Philadelphia 76ers and they've got the inside track to the NBA finals. And you're going to have to watch that. How are you, how are you feeling now that your big athletic uh, Atlantic division rival took your best defensive player and you're not going to have a matchup for him. And they're going to be able to lock you up with five, you know, pretty long interchangeable guys uh, at every single position. Um, how are you going to feel now watching Al Horford get his little Giannis stopper game on against the Milwaukee Bucks and what could be a really, really fun Eastern Conference Finals next year. That's going to hurt. And that's uh-huh. why I was tough on the Celtics fans. And uh, we had heard some buzz about Al Horford to Philadelphia during draft night. And I was trying to put it together, like, how would this even work? And it did yeah. wind up costing them Jimmy. It did wind up costing them J.J. Redick. And I think people kind of forget about that part. 
somehow they were able to do it, even though they gave Tobias Harris like $975 million to play basketball, which I honestly thought that was probably the biggest overpay of the entire you know, first 24 hours. But they were still able mm-hmm. to make it work. And to get Josh Richardson back as sort of a poor man's Jimmy Butler to plug into that lineup, I like their group a lot. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get myself unbanned from the Spike and Mike podcast. I don't know exactly how positive I have to go <laughs> on the Philadelphia 76ers. And I understand, like, you know, uh, praising Elton Brand is probably a little bit of dicey territory with those guys. But as a short-term win now, we saw what Masai Ujiri did last year in terms of building a contender and, and the value of going for it. We're going to try to do the same thing and go for it with these guys right now. I thought they did yeah. it pretty darn well. Well, okay. Uh, I agree mostly, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat. I really like what the Sixers have built here, in part because I did not like the idea of them running it back with Jimmy Butler and paying him $190 million and saying, I mean, like, I underst- I would have understood had they did that, but I, I like this alternative a lot better than that plan. Um, it's really creative how they and- spun it forward, right? It's like, okay, you can't, you know, they're in a situation where they don't want to bring everybody back because paying those same guys and still having a fairly hard cap on their ceiling would be tricky. It would not be where you want to be, especially if you're the GM, but you're going to feel obligated to do it because you traded all those other pieces to get those guys. But then to roll that yeah. forward and to get Richardson back and Horford back, I thought was really creative. Yeah, and, and basically it comes down to this, okay? If, if I can have Richardson and Al Horford on four for 96, because there there's some guarantees in there that are like championship uh, incentives or whatnot. So it, it really is like a, a contract for four years in the mid-90s. And um, and then also have Josh Richardson, who's a younger version of Jimmy Butler. Not as good as Jimmy Butler, but like is also going to be able to go through 82 games without having to kind of like hit cruise control for a month or two, um, which I think is a win for the Sixers. I would much rather do that than commit five years and $190 million to Jimmy Butler, which it sounds like that's what it was going to take to keep Jimmy in Philadelphia. Now, Woj has come out and reported afterward that the Sixers were not even willing to offer a four-year max to Jimmy Butler. So clearly, like they were uneasy about where that was going to head. And, um, and I'm curious to find out you know, how much the chemistry with Ben Simmons played into that or how much the the Joel Embiid factor played into that because Jimmy and, and Embiid did seem to be close through that playoff run but either way I mean I think Philly is in really really good shape right now a lot of it is going to come down to how much Simmons can grow offensively because it, I mean ultimately the Sixers outlook was always going to come down to like can Simmons go from being a like suboptimal all-star to being like a reliable all NBA guy for the next 10 years. Um, and if he can do that, I think this team is going to contend for titles over the next couple of years. No, I mean, that's their ceiling. There's no question about it. And it's easier to fill in the holes that they have left than the holes that say like the Lakers have left. Right. And they did some mortgaging of their future here too. I mean, they brought Horford and Harris on some numbers that in a couple of years are not going to look great, right? But their window is right now. Yeah. Those guys fit pretty well. And I think one major point that maybe some people are missing or, or maybe not, but the game is starting to change a little bit. We saw Toronto stay big basically throughout the finals because Golden State didn't have access to that death lineup, right? 
And there aren't very many mm-hmm. teams that can put five perimeter threats on the court at the same time. So if you're Philadelphia, the risk of doing this ultra big lineup with Embiid, Horford, uh, you know, probably playing down a position that, that you would prefer, Harris playing down a previ- uh, position that you would prefer. And then even in some cases, you'd probably rather have Richardson as your three rather than as your two, right? But I think you can get away yeah. with that if there's not a team that can really super duper spread it out like Golden State has over these last couple of years. And I'm not sure who's going to be able to do that. I don't think Boston can do it. I don't think Milwaukee can do that to them. And in fact, I think the more you can take away the basket area from Giannis, the better. And having both Embiid uh, and Horford, you know, in the paint, you know, to, as part of your wall to kind of like stand up to Giannis, I think is really, really helpful. I mean, as a Giannis Inc. investor, I looked at this Horford move and I was like, man, that makes his life a lot harder. Um, and then I think, yeah. you know, whether it's if Kawhi's in Toronto or whoever else is at the top of the Eastern Conference, I just think Philadelphia is going to wind up, if everybody stays healthy, if they're able to kind of, you know, get the chemistry right and all that, I think they're going to be able to win a lot of the matchup battles in the postseason. I agree. I agree. And look, even in the Golden State small ball era where every, you know, every team could go small, like the Sixers size was a real issue. It was an issue for the Raptors and it was an issue for basically every team they played. Um, And I think, you know, the Celtics actually did a pretty good job countering it. But the the main thing is that they're going to be so tough on defense that that's going to give them a really high baseline regardless. I like the idea of Horford and Embiid sort of platooning throughout the regular season and kind of making it easier to load manage both of them. And um, I also like Horford's fit with, with Simmons offensively. I think that could really work out well. Obviously, he's not going to run as much as Simmons is going to want to. Um but in the half court, like he fits better than um, you know the idea of like trading for Clint Capella in a in a Jimmy Butler sign and trade. That never made any sense to me. Horford works much better than that, and um, I'm excited about what's possible for them. I think we should also be careful because I go back to last year's Sixers and like 60% of what they did was just like run JJ Redick around screens and do those little dribble handoffs with Embiid and call it an offense. And so I'm really curious what they will do without Redick around. And then if you spin it forward to the playoffs, like a lot of what they did was just hand the ball to Jimmy Butler and be like, all right, go create, make this work. And Jimmy Butler was able to do it for like three and a half games of that Raptors series. And so a lot of people were in on Jimmy Butler. Um, And so they still have a lot of questions to answer, but I think like, Coming into Sunday, I was looking at Philly's future and being like, "Ugh, I, I don't know. Like, you, you guys made a lot of choices and went all in, and I'm not sure how anyone involved should feel about this. But now it's pretty intriguing, and it, particularly if they can add a couple pieces off the bench, they could be in good shape, and they will probably enter next season as the favorites to win the East. Yeah, who's their biggest threat? Like, who matches up with them best? Is it Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, probably Milwaukee. It it obviously all depends on Kawhi, um, but it, like Milwaukee, I think they're still going to go out and win fifty five or sixty games, even without Malcolm Brogdon. And all the all the questions that they're going to have to answer will come in the playoffs. But if if we're talking about regular season, I think it's going to be Philly, Milwaukee, and everybody else, unless Kawhi stays. 
Yeah, I and mean, that's got to feel pretty good if you're Philly after all the stuff with Boston, you know? I mean, you're this is a double win. Sort of like the Nets get the double win for not only getting Kevin Durant, but kind of like, you know, sticking it to the Knicks. I mean, it's the same deal for the Sixers. Yeah, um, and a lot of Sixers fans out there are going to have to delete a lot of tweets hating on Al Horford. <laughs> um, but uh, it's all part of the, the new era in Philly. So other side of that deal, very quickly... Tanner says, why did the Heat get Jimmy Butler? This should excite me, but honestly, it just leaves me sad and empty on the inside. Every year, the Heat finish in the middle of the pack, leaving the season with nothing but a crappy draft pick to show for it. Please tell me that's not where we're headed now. What do you think, Ben? Are they trying to cast him as the first chip to lure people next summer? Right, like come be the man for a year and then we're going to try to like really mix it up once Whiteside's out of the picture. I mean, is that the game plan or once Drogic is off the books? I mean, who knows what's going on with that part of the trade? It seemed like it got all screwed up tonight. So I guess it's TBD for now, but it kind of felt like, okay, let's get one piece and let's hope he's a magnet for for everybody else uh, next summer. And even if not, he fits with the culture down there. He's going to help you grind out to what, 41 wins you know, their favorite little benchmark <laughs> for success. He's going to yeah. be a personality, uh, you know, match with Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley, no doubt about it. Um, and he's going to be a, a tone setter for, you know, a lot of their young athletes. And, you know, you can always use that in a locker room too. Um, I don't know. I, I, it made some sense to me from Jimmy's standpoint because he definitely wants to be the man and it's a pretty desirable market to be the man in. Um, right. And from Miami's standpoint, like it's definitely better than what they had going on previously. Yeah, I mean, from Jimmy's standpoint, if I were him, I would much rather go to Miami and be the man than go to Houston and try to make it work with Chris Paul and James Harden. Or what about the or, Lakers? I mean, the Clippers option, the Clippers and Lakers options were interesting. I don't know whether the Lakers were ever a real option for him. Um, and that's another thing that will be kind of interesting to track as more of the details leak over the next couple of days. But um, it, it, I understand why he would want to play in Miami. The Heat side of it, my brother-in-law is a Heat fan, and so we talk like every month or two about how badly he wants to trade Whiteside. We talked tonight about this, and he was like, you know, I already know how this is going to end. We're going to lose 4-1 in the first round of the playoff series, and then Pat Riley is going to come out and say we just weren't playing Heat basketball and Eric Spoltra is going to come out and talk about culture and liking the internal growth. And so that's kind of where the Heat have been for about five years. There's still not enough shooting on the roster. But um, I like the idea of using Jimmy Butler to potentially steal another piece along the way over the next year or two. And I think in that respect, it is a win and a step forward because Jimmy Butler is, is better than Josh Richardson who had kind of plateaued over the last two years. Yeah, he's not just a better player, but I think he's easier to sell too. And I think that matters for that team yeah. down there too, right? I mean, you've got to give people a reason to keep showing up and you've got to cycle the faces a little bit, you know, bring in a replacement for Dwayne Wade after all that excitement over these last couple of years. So uh, it kind of makes sense on a lot of different levels. Hey, didn't you want to talk about the Warriors side of things with D'Angelo Russell? Yes, let's talk about the Warriors side of things. What do you think? I mean... Paying a max to D'Angelo Russell is just about the last thing I thought the Warriors would be doing this summer, to be honest. Um, <laughs> ben, how do you feel right now? Because all of your heroes are betraying you, okay? KD went and 
pin the rest of his career to Kyrie Irving. And then Bob Myers and the super smart Warriors have just kind of mortgaged the future and bet big on D'Angelo Russell for $130 million over the next four years. I mean, I feel like the timing on this one does make some sense, right? They had to strip the roster bare, get rid of Iguodala. It's going to cost them Livingston. Mm -hmm. It may cost them Looney, but they knew they were in a transition year, right? Uh, They knew that their ceiling uh, was not very high next year as they're waiting for Clay to come back. And they also knew that, you know, the fluctuation, like if if Steph misses any time, they're going to be a lottery team, right? So I understand why if you have the ability to get, you know, a person who I thought was maybe like a top 10, top 12 free agent on this year's market, just because of his youth, um, you know, and and his his potential and some of the growth he's shown over his last couple of years. It makes some sense, but I like this. But I, it's so hard for you to, to praise D'Angelo. No, Russell. I mean, I love it. Look, I would, I would hate to be paying Chase Center prices to watch D'Angelo Russell shoot eighteen footers. I can't lie. But the reason why I, I kind yeah. of understand this move for them doesn't it feel like they're going to turn around and flip into somebody who really, really wanted him? Well, yeah, and I think it buys them that option. Um, I mean, which down is the road. Valuable. I mean, and, down the road, like you know, right. after the trade deadline or whenever he's trade eligible. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of other teams out there, and obviously Minnesota was one of them that that popped up. But I think there's others who would really view him as like their franchise point guard, right? And yeah. in Golden State, the positional fit is going to be really, really weird. So I think that there's a better landing spot for him. It just may take some time. And for Golden State, it could be an opportunity to get some of those assets they just don't have, whether it's other you know rotation-level players, future draft picks, or whatever else they can use to go forward. I mean, losing Kevin Durant yeah. with no compensation whatsoever would have been a lot worse than paying uh, D'Angelo Russell the max. Well, and it, it's even worse than losing him with no compensation because it's no compensation and it's it's very little flexibility to add anything else. And so that's where the Warriors were. And people are going to kill them for this trade. And when I say people, I mean a specific type of like internet basketball writer is going to look at this and say, are you kidding me? Like Steph and D'Angelo can't guard anybody. This is a disaster. Why Why would the Warriors do this? They're not going to be able to bring back Looney now. They're going to be hard capped. Hey, but like the Andrew, bottom line is... I think I know exactly the type of person you're talking about. It's the same people who are bending over backwards to praise the Utah Jazz for the great Ed Davis signing. The move of the <laughs> summer, adding Ed Davis. It's a game changer. Well, yes. And look, I'm an Ed Davis guy. He's a Carolina guy. People are very, very into the Jazz right now. We can end on the Jazz in a, in a minute or two. But here's the thing. I... Given the alternatives that Golden State had, I think getting D'Angelo Russell is actually a a nice win for them. I'm not going to call it a home run. And there was a point um, like maybe 20 or 30 minutes after the trade initially was reported, Woj came out and we found out that they had to dump Andre Iguodala and it looked like the Warriors... The, the way Woj's tweet was worded, it looked like the Warriors were giving up three first-round picks in the 2020s to dump Andre Iguodala. And then I was like, oh my God, like, that's a lot for the, the privilege to pay D'Angelo Russell $130 million. Turns out that's only one pick in the 2020s. So ultimately, I think it's actually like a decent risk on their part. And um, and it makes the Warriors a lot more interesting going into next season. And if the alternative was like trying to bring back Quinn Cook and running him out there with Steph Curry or, 
or trying to keep it rolling with Andre Iguodala next year. Iguodala was an amazing warrior. His last game at Oracle was incredible. He pulled. They had 22 points on I think like nine to 16 shooting. Like he was awesome and was awesome for the last three or four years. But trading him isn't the worst thing in the world at this point. No, it, it was just that, time to pull the plug, right? I mean, didn't we all feel that after right. Game Six? I mean, it was like that. The super villain, villains, that group of warriors, was done. Yeah, well, and and it was an awesome last stand for them. And then looking ahead, it's like, all right, let's see what we can do to retool around Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Now, the major question I have is, will Draymond still be part of this core in the next couple after the next couple weeks? And like that, my my analysis of all of this will change if you remove Draymond from the equation and say. Yep, we're just gonna roll the ball out with Steph and D'Angelo Russell in the Chase Center and try to make it work. Like that one, I, I really can't get behind. But given the alternatives that the Warriors had, I I understand why they would just sort of like see what see what happens with D'Angelo Russell and worst case scenario they can move him a year from now, which would I mean he'll have value. Man, they cannot trade Draymond Green. Can you imagine paying like $1.5 million for one of those Chase Center box suites per year to watch Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, and a front line that's worse than the Knicks front line next season in, in Golden State? No way, man. <laughs> well, they better not do that. Yeah, well, and I think that was probably part of the calculus with chasing Russell also because I can't imagine paying $10 million or whatever they're actually charging. I like how our numbers progressively get higher and higher as we imagine chase center prices but like eat whatever it costs i can't imagine buying one of the personal seat licenses in the chase center and then watching the warriors show up in san francisco and finish in 10th or 11th place which honestly was very much on the table until they made this russell deal and now there's at least enough room you can talk yourself into the pieces a little bit. Now they could be seventh. Um, what? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, Russell's yeah, not that I big of a needle mover. Probably, I think he's better as like a draw or like, you know, a, a token to the fan, like a show of, hey, we're still committed and we're trying to put out an entertaining yeah, product. Yeah, we still care. Right. Then he is like right. a guy who's going to change wins and losses. I guess I'd put it that way. Um, and just to clarify. I think that that's reasonable. Right, right. And just to clarify earlier, it wasn't like a big shot at Ed Davis. I just think like free agency really brought out the group think and it really brought out the generic praise. And I think I saw like 150 tweets about Ed Davis and what a great value and incredible signing is and all that. And it's like, if you get more tweets when you're signed than you do for the entire season, that's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I get well, it. And it's the same people like, like I'm describing who would be really, really upset and over the moon at, you know, paying $1 too much for D'Angelo Russell that you were describing. I think there's a lot of overlap between those two groups. Well, listen here, Ben. Clearly, you have never played fantasy basketball and been thirsty for a quick center replacement at the end of a heated matchup, and you pick up Ed Davis, and he gets you like a nifty nine points on four of five shooting with eight rebounds and one or two blocks. He's just a he, he keeps plugging away wherever he is, whether he's in Portland, whether he's in, in Brooklyn or Utah. You could always bet on Ed Davis showing up and being perfectly serviceable for your fantasy team. And again, as a Carolina guy, 
Uh, it, like he's he's carved out a nice role for himself at the NBA, so I'm happy for him. He's not James Mac- Michael McAdoo. I really um, I really appreciate that argument a- from you. That was very well said. But the problem is, you and Kevin both are just out there playing buddy ball. You know, all you do surround yourself with your friends, <laughs> load up your roster with your buddies, rather than actually trying to put together a real team. You know. Well, it's a perfect segue, though. We can close out with the Utah Jazz because I think there are a lot of people out there who would say that the Utah Jazz were the big winners on Sunday and emerged from all of this as the favorite Another perfect example. I mean, how many Bohan Bogdanovich fans came out of the woodwork in the last 24 hours? (laughs) Read more praise of him than in the entire year uh, when he played for the Indiana Pacers. And I want to give Matt Moore, HP Basketball, some credit because I think he was even at one point like floating Bogdanovich out as like an all-star or some other like all-league type uh-huh. honors. And I thought that was like a little bit too much, but I respected it because I did think that his season went way under the radar, both from us, but just from everybody in general. I mean, it was like a perfect storm for yep. him to go underrated. But boy, did that shift fast, right? It's like the only other player whose reputation took a a bigger leap over the last 48 hours was Kemba Walker. Other than that, Bogdanovich is number two. Okay, first of all, Kemba Walker is really good. I'm not going to let you continue to take these veiled shots at Kemba Walker. It's not a shot. He's all NBA this year. He is awesome. Kemba is going to be awesome in, in Boston. Here's my issue, okay? I understand what you are talking about with kind of the echo chamber surrounding some of the jazz stuff. Um, And it's worth, I'm glad you pointed it out because I would have felt like kind of a jerk pointing it out, but like we're kind of overreacting here and the jazz are also in really good shape. Like I love what they did because given what was possible for them, it's similar to my, the, the way I'm reading the golden state stuff. It's like, Given what was possible for them, I like signing Boyan Bogdanovich a lot more than sticking with Derek Favors another year or trying to throw a bunch of this cash at Nikola Mirotic, who wound up going to Barcelona. I think Bogdanovich is just a better player, and so that's a win for Utah. Um, At the same time, I, I don't think that we should just assume that the Jazz are going to enter next season and be the juggernaut that they appear to be on June 30th. You know what I mean? Like Bogdanovich is coming off easily the best season of his career. And I don't like a hundred percent trust him to recreate that number one. And number two, like a lot of this is still going to come down to what you're getting from Donovan Mitchell and, and how much uh, Mike Conley has left. So like there are some, some real questions on the Utah side. There's no question that Bogdanovich's numbers are not going to be as good next year as they were this past year. I mean, he was showing up to the buffet at 11.01 a.m. and he had his run of the place, especially after Oladipo went down, right? All the shots, all right. the touches, whatever he wanted, whatever he was able to give them. Uh, they allowed him to do. That's not going to be the case in Utah. I mean, he's going back to, you know, role player life. I mean, there's other guys who are definitely going to be having the ball first, second, and third before he even really gets involved. That's going to be a real adjustment. And you're right to say that, like, look, his numbers spiked big time uh, for one year. It took a while for him to get there. He's probably not going to be able to sustain that, but he should be able to provide them, you know, valuable uh, and efficient contributions, which is exactly what their offense has been lacking. And that's why everybody's so excited about it. 
you know, after this long mm-hmm. wind up kind of making fun of all the the praise that they got, I'll I'll be real. <laughs> I liked every move they did. I liked the Conley move. I, know, I liked the Bogdanovich so move. About it. And I liked the Ed Davis move too. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I can't just say I like it because everybody else is trying to do backflips to impress each other on Twitter to say who liked it more and who really liked it the most. And now they're yeah. going to be the finals champion. Now they're going to be, you know, the Western Conference's best team. You know, winning the West is in play for Utah. Absolutely. But that says a lot about yeah. the West and something about Utah too, right? Because there is no favorite out there. Uh, unless Kawhi Leonard goes to the Lakers, you know, you could tell me that six or seven different teams could win the Western Conference next year. But Utah has positioned themselves very well to be near the front of that group. I like how it fits. I hope that Mitchell is able to uh, make use of all these new weapons that he's got because that's been kind of the opposite problem for him. He hasn't had the right kind of help. And I think he's finally starting to yeah. get it. I think so too. And I'm with you. I mean, that's basically what I was trying to say earlier. It's like, I understand the echo chamber is kind of an easy punchline. And yet I also, and I'm, I'll laugh at every joke people want to say about how much people are t- talking about the jazz. Like they just put together the 92 dream. Well, team. don't you think, but at the didn't, same didn't you time, tell me you think they're going to three Pete? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. That's what know? I'm saying. That's so where how, it gets. How many years is Bogdanovich signed for? <laughs> um, Dynasty. At the same time, I like everything they did, and I think that they're in really good shape. And you're right uh, that it all comes down to Kawhi because look, I think if Kawhi doesn't go to the Lakers, the Jazz may very well enter next season. Maybe they probably won't be the favorites to win the West in Vegas because the Lakers are still going to have like a ton of public money on them, regardless. But um, the Jazz will be a very popular pick to go win the West. And given what was possible for them, they've positioned themselves about as well as anyone could have imagined a month ago. So it's a big win for them. And, um, and it's an appropriate place for us to end because all of this comes down to Kawhi. We spent 30 minutes talking about Kevin Durant at the start of this episode. And yet, if there's one thing that has become clear through the first six or seven hours of free agency. It's now 1.30 a.m. on July 1st. You and I had to keep pushing the pod back because news kept coming. Uh, If there's one thing that's become clear, though, like Kawhi kind of controls everything now because if he goes to L.A., the Lakers are the clear-cut favorite, and if he goes to the L.A. Clippers, there are suddenly seven to ten teams who are going to enter next season thinking they have a shot at winning the title. And as we are taping, the Clippers have just agreed to a three-year, $40 million deal to keep Patrick Beverly. So I believe that means they still have room for Kawhi, but it sounds like maybe they're punting on all other pursuits. That's very interesting. I don't really know what to make of that. They can still flip uh, Gallinari to to, to create some extra room, but yeah, it, it certainly looks like there's only one superstar on the board for them regardless. Because they're, they're out, they can't get Jimmy uh, and all the other exactly. top five guys are out. So, um, well, that's exciting for me as somebody who covers the Clippers that Beverly will be back. I mean, you know, first team all interview, no question about it. First team all, all <laughs> braggadocio. Uh, but you summarized it brilliantly. I mean, we had the one power broker go early. That's Kevin Durant. 
And I do think it's a little bit of a boss move by Kawhi Leonard to say, okay, all the other teams out there, you want to go ahead and spend $3 billion in the first day? That's fine. I'm just going to you know, hang out, relax, maybe do some meetings, maybe invite Rob Palinka, maybe not, maybe take a phone call for Magic, maybe not. And these other teams are going to wait around on my decision. And that's the true decision that will determine, you know, basically everything uh, in terms of the 2000, uh, you know, the 2020 title chase. I got to say, I'm, yep. I kind of respect the move from Kawhi. I think it's it's a pretty big flex, isn't it? Yeah, a, a braggadocio flex from Kawhi Leonard. Um, anyways, on that note, I have to go continue writing, and I believe you do too. I want to congratulate both of us for managing to be coherent on this podcast because there's been a lot of news flying around all day long, um, and there's a lot of stuff that we did not get to hit on tonight's podcast listeners yeah there you uh, go there you go stop stop patting me on the back stop patting yourself on the back (laughs) can you please thank the listeners yes and i i do i want to also apologize to listeners because ben and i agreed way too much on this episode but it, it it is weird i i didn't really talk to you very much throughout the day but um we came down in the same place on most of these teams which is interesting and rare. It is rare. I just want to leave everybody on this note. Kyrie Irving has posted on Instagram, uh, the all-seeing eye, of course, is the graphic, and it says, the journey is the reward. I, E-Y-E, only know the best for me, family first. I mean, that's profound. Uh, you love it. You love to hear that from an NBA star. It's just deep on a lot of different levels. Everybody should really marinate on that. Andrew, thanks to yep, our listeners. A coffee shop grows in Brooklyn, everyone. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, our listeners can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Sincere, sincere thank you to everyone who sent in tips during the free agency period. Keep those coming. We'd love to hear from you. And also your quick take reactions. I'm sure somebody got mad at something, Andrew, where I said, let us know why. And if you agreed, we'd love to hear that too. We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once you get there, scroll down. There's a section that says Rate and Review, Tap Five Stars. It's just that easy. It really helps us spread the word. Look, lots of people are looking for NBA content right now because it's free agency season. Help us find those people by rating and reviewing our show. We really appreciate it. We're also on the world-famous radio.com slash Open Floor. Andrew, my celebrated uh, award-winning Instagram page is at ben.golliver. People can check me out there. And until later this week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.